Informatics with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today we'll be hearing from David Mindell, professor at MIT as well as CEO and founder of Umatics, a company that seeks to revolutionize how people and machines locate, navigate and collaborate. Localization is really important for mobile robots designed to work autonomously or alongside humans in a variety of settings. And while progress has been made over the years to improve localization software and applications, current solutions are often limited to indoors and control environments and are relatively inaccurate when used in rapidly changing settings or outdoors. Microlocation has been suggested as a potential solution to localization issues. Microlocation is the process of accurately pinpointing a person's or a robot's location using a number of different localization technologies. At Umatics, the team have successfully developed a microlocation system that can accurately detect the location of a special tracking device down to a centimeter level accuracy. And they are now working on getting this down to a millimeter level accuracy. Our interviewer Abate spoke with Professor Mindell about Humatics' current products, their applications, as well as the company's plans for the future. Hello, and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is David Mindell. I'm a professor at MIT and the founder and CEO of Humatics. Hey, um, could you tell us a little bit more about Humatics and what the mission statement is over there? Sure. Humatics is the first four letters of human and the last four letters of robotics. And uh, we're building a world where people, robots, and infrastructure can locate, navigate, and collaborate safely and productively with each other. Um, we do this with a technology called microlocation and spatial intelligence, which provides pre- pre- precise positioning for the built environment. And uh, we're solving uh, amazing problems for our customers that uh, create a tremendous value for them. And so this technology is, the large function of it is to be used for the localization of robotics? Uh, localization as a, the base layer for all kinds of human-robotic collaboration in complex environments. And could you talk about some of the impact of um, localization and how that works as a base layer? Sure. We're all familiar with GPS and uh, you know the, the ways that GPS has changed the world when it's combined with cell phones and databases and the internet. Um, but of course, GPS has limitations. It's only good to the size of your house, 10 meters or so in terms of accuracy. Uh, it doesn't work indoors, doesn't work underground, doesn't work very well in cities. And uh, what we do is provide microlocation systems that are hundreds to thousands of times more accurate than, than GPS, and they work in all of those complex environments, which is where most people and most robots live and work these days. Are there other forms of um, doing localization aside from GPS? Uh, well, people are working with LIDAR-based systems, which refer to pre-stored maps, and those have their own strengths and, and some weaknesses. And uh, 
people use camera-based systems, and there are many different forms of navigation. Uh, navigation is always a systems problem. There are always multiple sensors you need to uh, solve the problem in particular environments. But uh, we provide absolute referenced uh, uh, radio-based navigation like GPS does. And so um, you tell any robot where it is, and you've done half its job for it, and you free up all the resources and the cost on that robot to do other things that the robot is trying to get done. What are some of the other shortcomings of, say, LiDAR, or computer vision systems, or multi-sensor fusion systems to do localization? Uh, so LiDAR um, is laser-based systems, and uh, they, they've they performed exceedingly well in very highly structured environments where you kind of know where the hallways are, and you have a lot of walls and things to refer to. They don't do so well out in the open. They don't do so well uh, indoor-outdoor, where you might have uh, rain or snow or fog or even bird poop on the sensor. Um, and they don't do well in dynamic environments where the structures around you are moving very, uh, constantly. And a lot of factories or container terminals or places where you have a lot of inventory moving through a warehouse, um, the structure can also often be quite dynamic. Um, so LIDAR has trouble in those kind of environments because they can't refer what they see to a, a fixed map. Um, vision systems have limitations that we're all familiar with from our own eyes. You know, they they either don't work well in bright sunlight or they don't work well in darkness. Um, they can be fooled by various kinds of optical illusions, and they're, they're quite limited in their um, distance that they're able to see. Um Sensor fusion systems are, are all good, basically. That, that's just a way of saying you use each of these sensors for what they're good at and combine them in algorithms to create the best possible solution out of all of them. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the products that Humatics is producing? Uh, so we build um, a spatial intelligence platform, which is both hardware and software um, that enables... Uh, a particular environment like a warehouse or a factory or even a, uh, a, a train line um, to, to be equipped with microlocation and enables centimeter and even sometimes millimeter accurate uh, precision measurement of many different types of targets. And then that data goes into a software platform and um, you can track where um, all of your forklifts are moving on the course of a day. Uh, the drivers of the forklifts can know where they are and be uh, do different types of zoning or directions or many similar applications to what we're used to with GPS in the outdoor environment at large scale, operating in the built environment at, at local scales. So is this a physical small product that you attach to, say, a forklift um, in order to track? Uh, it is. Think of it like a, a kind of cell phone sized um beacon that you put on the forklift and um and uh or on a robot um or on a hand cart um um or even in some safety critical situations on a worker's vest and so you're able to know um where things are where they should not be um alert them when they get into uh you know safety critical zones um and again all the power of data analytics um, to improve uh, throughput and efficiency and, and safety. Mm -hmm. And does this require some infrastructure in place um, in the establishment to work? Uh, uh, yeah, so we place a, a number of beacons 
uh, up in the ceiling or along the track or along the area where the things are. And uh, they, those are hundreds of meters away from each other. And uh, then the, the beacon on the forklift talks to the beacons in the ceiling or uh, around the infrastructure and communicates that way. So it's a beacon-to-beacon-based system. And how are they communicating with each other? They communicate using um, very small uh, radio frequency signals, um, ultra wideband signals that have, have that are sort of live below the noise floor in a in a very robust way, and uh, they measure the speed of light and the uh, well, they know the speed of light. They measure the, the amount of time it takes the signals to travel from one beacon to the other. They factor out all the complicating reflections and all the things that that confuse uh, other types of systems and they they make very precise measurements of where they are so it's always an absolute reference systems you always know precisely where you are not only relative to the you know the wall that you're next to mm-hmm. and how does it know the absolute position with respect to um, the entire world in the similar way that a gps system would well it, it, absolute position relative uh within the environment that you're in. So if you're in a, a factory, you, you have a coordinate frame that lives within the factory. Um, absolute position on the face of the earth, which most of, most indoor applications are not that concerned with, you can always register it into a GPS fix on the factory itself. Is this, um, is this product then generally designed for use in factory floors and places with uh, infrastructure in place in order to be able to do this as opposed to say, outdoor environments? Uh, right. We call them semi-structured environments. So we work in container terminals, uh, warehouses, loading docks, uh, manufacturing facilities, um, and also uh, 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 railway lines and, and subway tunnels and the like. Mm-hmm. And does this also use a map that's loaded into the system? Uh, it does not use a, a preloaded map of the system. You can overlay a, a, a CAD drawing of where you are, so you can refer it to the world that you're in, uh, but it does not require mapping the environment ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so this is also limited to just localization and not other things such as obstacle detection. Uh, that's right. It, it has some obstacle detection capabilities, but uh, most robots already have obstacle avoidance or detection on them and, and we supplement those systems. We don't provide obstacle avoidance per se. Mm-hmm. But if, again, if you know where you are, you're much better off at, uh, uh, at uh, knowing where you, what you need to operate in and how you're safe. And what are, what, what's the frequency at which the sensor grabs readings at? Uh, it's all in the, uh, well, the, the readings themselves are in the, you know, hundreds of measurements per second, which is more than most robots really need them. Um, and, uh, some systems actually can go even faster than that. We don't tend to require it. Um, and so very, very high update rate of position readings. And what's the effect of this extremely high update reading on, say, the speed at which the robots could move in a, in a fairly controlled environment like a factory? Well, we don't require all the image processing and the kind of heavy you know, graphical um, processing units that are required for a lot of the LIDAR or um, image-based systems. So we can provide very high frequency updates and that allows the vehicles to move more quickly. Of course, in many cases, the return on investment for robotics is really speed and time. And uh, that's also true for precision navigation. The ROI is really 
almost always time at the end of the day. If you can do things safer, uh, you can move more quickly. If you know where you are more precisely, you can move more quickly and uh, all contributing to getting a job done in a more efficient manner. What are some of the current applications of this product? Um, so we're, you know, we, we operate uh, autonomous vehicles and container terminals. Container terminals are interesting places because while they're outdoors, uh, the GPS accuracy is not nearly good enough to move vehicles around carrying containers um, as they're offloading a ship and unloading them onto trucks. Um, and uh, also the container terminals have a lot of metal in the sky, so GPS doesn't work very well because it gets confused by the, the little giant cranes in the ceiling. Uh, we operate in, in railway settings where we measure the, the position of the trains very precisely, and that enables you to get many more people through a um, subway system at rush hour without having to build new tunnels or add new trains. Uh, and we operate it in warehouses and f- fulfillment centers where there are lots of people and lots of robots running around, and there's no really one way to see um, all those different things, and our system really enables you to know um, uh, not only where your robots are, potentially where your forklifts are, where your where your carts are, and lots of different pieces. And so, factories, warehouses, um, logistics facilities, and, and transportation places, uh, uh, transportation environments are, are where we currently deploy today. Mm-hmm. So. When operating in an environment where there's also people running around, um, also some random motion of objects, um, would the limitation of how fast the robot could move safely then be less so on the ability for it to localize itself with respect to its surroundings, but then more focused on how well it can detect, how fast it can detect objects around it? Um, I mean... You know, collision avoidance is always based on the basic Newtonian physics of how quickly you can stop. That's true in driving your car as well. Some places you can go faster if they're more predictable, at like a highway, and there's fewer chances of random interruptions. And other places, uh, like in the center of your town, you have to drive slower and you have to be more careful of, of potential obstacles. Uh, you know, r- factories are set up very much like cities. They have streets, they have avenues, they have intersections. Um, they actually don't have as good traffic signaling as as cities and towns do. Um, and so uh, what you want to do is free up the traffic jams, uh, move things more quickly, um, and uh, know where other things are in advance of actually having to detect them as obstacles. Um, and so... Uh, a lot of robots in factories today know where themselves are, maybe, but they don't know where anything else is. A true spatial intelligence platform provides a kind of overall knowledge of where many of the different uh, factors are, and then you can actually incorporate the future predicted plans of those things into where you actually want the uh, the vehicles to go. Mm-hmm. And I see online that you've um, refined the product from going from um, some approximately centimeter level accuracy to um, getting much higher accuracy. Could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, uh, That's right. We also have systems that operate at millimeter accuracy. So think about putting a picture frame on the wall or maybe a ceiling tile on the ceiling, and that gives you millimeter accurate tracking of objects in a kind of, uh, you know, 30 meter area. Um, And those systems will be coming out uh, next year for, um, 
similar kinds of applications, but much higher speed and much higher precision with a chip that's the size of your pinky nail that gives you that millimeter accurate localization. So this is this is a the next generation of the current uh, product that you have, which I believe is at centimeter level accuracy. That's correct. Okay, and is that within a few centimeters or within one centimeter? Uh, different applications have different requirements. We generally say it's two centimeters, three D accuracy. Mm. And what so, were some of the updates um, to go from the centimeter to millimeter level? Accuracy. Um, well, the millimeter scale products actually have a whole different level of calibration because you can't, you know, the whole world is moving around at the millimeter scale. When when the heating system turns on in your building, it grows by millimeters. When the wind blows, it pushes the walls by millimeters. When you stand on the floor, you depress the floor by by millimeters, um, and those are all things we have to take into account in actually measuring position um, with millimeter and, in some cases, submillimeter accuracy. Um, similarly, the the basic radio waves and frequencies that we operate need to be calibrated for these uh, higher precisions. It's all stuff we've done, and we've made it managed to do it in a way that's very inexpensive and very simple. Um, and we think it'll really revolutionize uh, motion capture and precision measurement and um, and uh, many different applications in these spaces. And can you talk about the calibration process? How does uh, how did you go about doing that? Uh, the calibration for the very highly accurate system is all done uh, in the factory in the construction of the system. Um, it's really a self-contained unit, so you you remove the necessity for um, calibrating it uh, in the spatial environment. So you do this at the factory in which it's going to be implemented um, as opposed to... No, no, in our factory when it's manufactured. It's all built into the unit from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And has this product been released yet? Uh, No, it's in pilots these days and, uh, you know, we're uh, continuing to refine it and uh, it'll be out in in early applications next year, um, and uh, uh, we're really excited about it. It's it's a it's a whole new way of thinking about how we move through the world. When you measure, even if I try to hold these things still at the millimeter precision, my entire body is moving in the millimeter world all the time. My breathing is reflected in my body's motion. My speaking. My balances in there and there's just a tremendous amount of new kinds of data that uh, we can get from the millimeter scale systems that really no one's seen before and what's the what's the noise behavior of this system is it um, does it behave differently depending on say the weather the environment the um Uh, it does not other external factors all, all of our systems are 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 calibrated to their specs uh, independent of temperature and they work in rain, fog, sleet, snow, um, lightness, darkness. Their, uh, you know, radio frequencies are of course independent of all those things. And uh, they're also um, robust to interference from cell phones and Wi-Fi and all the kinds of RF stuff that lives in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are there any limitations that you came across when going from the centimeter level precision system to the millimeter one? Say, is there a difference in the amount of robustness of the measurement? 
there's no difference in the amount of robustness. As I mentioned, you know, millimeter is a whole different level of precision and accuracy. And um, one of the challenges with calibrating the millimeter scale system is we don't have any other measurements that are actually more precise than the ones we make. And so it's always hard to build the best ruler in the world um, without buying very, very expensive exotic measuring equipment, which we can do, but we don't ask our customers to do. So whenever you measure something, you always have to ask, compared to what? And uh, we spend a lot of effort and we've developed a lot of technology that we have uh, very precise data and very precise um, uh, uh, empirical support for all of the accuracy claims that we make. In fact, we measure most of the other navigation systems more precisely than they're able to do on their own. And what are the cost points of these two products? Are these, are these devices bought as a, a full system for a warehouse? Uh, the full system for the warehouse, we generally uh, price it um, as far as the beacons themselves. And then there's uh, uh, ongoing um, microlocation as a service, which depends a little bit on uh, what the precision points are and what the um, uh, use cases are. And uh, we sort of charge you know, by the month per robot in a, in a warehouse or a factory setting. And... Uh, um, and then the hardware itself um, is, you know, very modest compared to the value that's created um, by unclogging the the traffic jams in factories and warehouses. Um, and then the the millimeter scale systems are um, uh, also very inexpensive, and um, the chip that we're coming out with will bring that into the realm of uh, many different types of applications. Um, and. So what type of applications does uh, microlocation unlock that were not previously possible? Well, you know, think about uh, the factory of the future or the fulfillment center of the future, which is a, a true harmony of people, robots, and infrastructure working together in a beautifully smooth, coordinated, and safe way. It's much more productive than having all the robots walled off and uh, one area and the people in another area. Um, think about um, understanding how to optimize uh, the human performance in a way that's both healthy and safe for the workers and also very highly efficient in the way that they move. Um, think about uh, people and robots working truly collaboratively next to each other, not just where one won't kill the other, but also where um, when the person is ready, the robot hands the tool, uh, hands the parts to the person, and, and vice versa. And uh, we really have a kind of a fluid augmentation um, of, of human work um, at, at large scale for uh, the way we're all going to have to work in the future. Do you see applications of this product outside of the warehouse and industrial environments? Uh, we do. There are many applications in the medical world and fitness and sports and gaming and other areas. Uh, we're a startup, so we, we've chosen to focus on the industrial arena as the place with the most immediate kind of hair-on-fire problems we're solving. And then uh, we expect to build a future where microlocation is increasingly ubiquitous. And uh, in five years, we're going to look back at 2019 and say, can you believe it? We didn't know where anything was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and you were speaking about being a startup, so you also recently raised a round of funding. That's correct. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, 
we're a startup. We we need capital to keep going to build up our uh, technology and our teams and our commercial operations. And uh, you know, we have uh, wonderful investors who are very supportive of what we're doing and really share our both immediate vision and our long-term vision for the company. And what were some of the goals that you guys had with the last round of funding that you raised? Um, I believe that was in January of 2019. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So what are some of the, the objectives with all using that money that you raised? And how much did you raise? Uh, complete the productization of the technology. Um, uh, you know, uh, continue to build out the software stack. Um, continue to build out the team and, and facilities that are required to both develop and demonstrate the technology. And, uh, you know, uh, really capitalize the go-to-market and uh, uh, get the technology out there to the customers who need it. Mm-hmm. And there is also, as you mentioned just now, um, a software aspect to this product. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so does this allow for the uh, consumer, the warehouse, to uh, modify it, maybe use an API to... Um, customize it to their own warehouse? Uh, absolutely. There are APIs for the spatial intelligence platform that can uh, allow you to set up the business rules for how you'd like to think about your spatial uh, intelligence, um, uh, how you can get the data in and out, how you can get the uh, the data logged and all of the higher level analytics about where have I been and where is everybody going and where where am I spending the most time and where can I find uh, improvements in efficiency or safety. So you can do a lot of, say, um, data tracking, event tracking on how the system's operating. Um, you spoke about spatial rules. Uh, can you describe what those are? Yeah, I think about a you know a safety zone that says uh, you know when there's a worker in this workstation, the robot shouldn't come within five feet of the workstation, or. Um, uh, uh, when there's a robot approaching this intersection, if there's another robot approaching, make a decision about which one goes first and slow down a little sooner so you don't actually have to pull to a stop and you can let the other robot go through. Uh, those are all the, the kind of uh, business rules and logics um, that you can, you can begin to deploy uh, once you actually know where things are. Or another one, just think about speed limits. Um, you know, we have... Uh, uh, we have um, customers who have uh, forklifts that have speed limits, but the forklift drivers don't actually have any knowledge of how fast they're going. So give the give the forklift driver, uh, you know, the number of how fast they're going in miles per hour, and then turn the number red when they go above the speed limit. Mm-hmm. So this does have some um, applications for feedback to people directly on the floor. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, the most effective use of of data for real time operations is to give it to the operator directly and let them improve their work, rather than telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, what are some of your um, medium term goals over the next few years um, with Humanics? Uh, they're pretty clear for us now. We're we're um, bringing the product uh, to more and more customers, scaling the go to market. Um, uh, continuing to develop the spatial intelligence platform and, uh, you know, really uh, delivering the product at scale 
um, uh, just to, to satisfy the demand we see today, um, then as we do that, we begin to uh, branch into newer and newer uh, dimensions, uh, bring the millimeter scale to market in the uh, appropriate places for it, and uh, um, you know, again, continue to build microlocation as a, a key idea for how we're going to work alongside machinery in the 21st century. Thank you very much for speaking with us today, David. Great. Thanks for your time. And that's all from us for today. If you would like to learn more about microlocation, humatics, or anything else covered in this episode, just check out robohop.org forward slash podcast for more information as well as all our past episodes. And if you have an idea for something you'd like covered on the podcast, let us know by emailing our president, Audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. And we'll be back with another episode in about two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Humatics with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.